You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. Before we kick off the episode, I wanted to say that I got a lot of great feedback on featuring a junior developer in episode 366. Not only am I about to feature another today, I would like to invite other junior developers to reach out to me to be featured in a future episode. Please email me at brittany.jill.martin at gmail.com. Link will be in the show notes. And before the feature, this episode is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is a leading edge application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues. This is all without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With a developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, you can quickly pinpoint and resolve performance abnormalities, like M plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails let you rest easy knowing that Scout's on watch and resolving performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. And I'd like to feature Diane as another fantastic junior developer looking for their first role. Let's hear from her now. Hello, folks. My name is Diane. I am an IT student in the last semester of college. Uh, my main technical abilities are with Rails, Ruben Rails, JavaScript, and React. So if you have something in common with me or just want to chat about tech or you have some job opportunity for me because I'm looking for my first job, please let me know. You can find me on my LinkedIn and you can email me as well. So thank you. And with that, on to the show. You're listening to episode 367, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Amy Naborowski, aka Powder, is a 38-year-old trans woman that enjoys programming, video games, and tinkering with electronics. She likes to play with all of the programming languages and is always exploring new things. She's currently working primarily with the Ruby programming language as a principal software engineer at Vibes, a mobile engagement platform that helps companies create meaningful connections with their customers. Welcome to the show, Powder. Hi, from... Hopefully the comfiest couch in my place, at least. Um, but yeah, um, I am in Northern Illinois, Zion. It's a great place to be on a five acre farm, which is always fun. But... That sounds like a way better scenario where I am. I'm currently crammed in my little recording closet. So the idea that you're looking at, you know, Anchorage of farm land sounds wonderful. Yeah, yes. So Powder, what is your developer origin story? So, as I was joking, I wish I had something fun like being zapped by gamma radiation and there, here I am. But uh, more or less, I was introduced to computers at a really early age and I really wanted a Nintendo when I was growing up. But my dad is like, that's so pointless. You don't need that. And I was like, what do you mean? And he showed me how to program a computer with basic and that was my initial hook. And I started learning from this big, ugly gray binder and like learning how to program little games for myself in basic like when I was five years old and that was the seed that grew and I just continued learning things until I somehow ended up here. 
That is an amazing story that you started programming at five years old. I know I certainly wanted a Nintendo growing up. I would run into the department store and jump on Mario Paint, just hoping that my parents would choose a Nintendo over a Sega. And luckily it worked out in my favor. But the idea that you were making your own games is pretty incredible. Yeah, it was fun. They were always silly and small and like I could never do much, but yeah. <laughs> Did you know, you, it, so you started at that young age, but did you know going through elementary, middle, high school that you were ultimately going to stick with computers? I absolutely did. I was in love from that moment on. And it's like, that's what I knew I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to make it work. Like, because around middle school, like older people in my life were like, you can't make a living, you know, doing video games and things like that. And so I was like, well, I still know I want to be able to program computers. That was like the fun thing I enjoyed doing. Like that was my spare time activity is I would sit there and tinker away at the computer and figure things out. And yeah, I just knew that somehow I was going to make it work. <laughs> I am so jealous that you knew your purpose. That is wonderful. So uh, Powder, how did you get involved with Ruby and Ruby on Rails? So about like eight or nine years ago, I was actually doing C sharp programming for Hewlett Packard and I reached out to a friend because I kind of needed to do something different and I wasn't really enjoying that. And they were like, can you learn Ruby? And I was like, of course, I can learn anything. And, you know, I was super excited to try it. And I got he got me an interview with a company up in Illinois. I was in Arkansas at the time. And I basically like he got me the interview and they said, can you make this project? And so I went and read documentation, got the project and was like, here. I know it's not great, but here, and they're like, it doesn't have to be great. It just has to do the thing and it does the thing. So they were happy to extend me an offer. And that was my for like, that was my first time with Ruby at that point. And it just snowballed from there. I started off with the first job basically being writing code that pre-populated PDFs with customer information. And from there, I went to a company that did a social media network of sorts, which that was a lot of learning and not very exciting like projects. Uh, the next place was like a company that did payment kiosks. And I had so many amazing projects there. Like um, one of them was building a Ruby driver for a banknote recycler. It's kind of a machine that you can take bills and it will actually give you exact change back. Um, like you can pay with a hundred dollar bill and it will be able to spit out a 50 and 20 for change, which is, different than a lot of change machines. Um, I also built an interface for vending um, product from an actual vending machine through a Rails application, which that one was a ton of fun. And lastly, the I, it's a lot of projects for one company, but lastly, I did a system that did license plate recognition for the city of Chicago at their airports. Those projects sound incredible. They all sound like conference talks in their own right. And it's almost <laughs> like examples of look what Ruby can do. So that does sound like a really wonderful job and probably elevated you a lot as a software developer. It was definitely one of the more exciting times. It was all still startup culture. So that was not as great, but it was still very exciting. It gave me a lot of growth. I always joke that every year at a startup is like dog years. So Every year at a startup is seven years of actual developer experience. <laughs> I totally agree. It actually sounds like your career started out using pure Ruby and then you eventually moved into Ruby on Rails. Is that accurate? Um, a little bit. It's like, it was kind of like Ruby on Rails is where I started trying to do things. 
And I had a mentor at my very first job who backed me up a little bit. It's like, no, this is just Ruby and this is what Ruby on Rails does. And I was like, there's a difference. <laughs> That's so smart. Do you happen to remember what version of Ruby on Rails it was whenever you came into it? Um, I think the product we were building at that first company, I think we were still using Ruby 193. And that would be what, Rails 4, maybe? That sounds right. Yeah. So you saw it probably at its like more stable time. So that's pretty great. And as you noted, Powder, you are a self-taught developer programmer, which many of our listeners are. Do you have any advice for those who are newer in their self-taught careers? This one is always a tough one to answer just because everyone has a different learning style. Like no one learns the same, but that's probably my also key form of advice is like, you know you better than anyone else and how you like to approach things. So I kind of go at it with the like, don't let anyone else tell you what's right, but listen to what calls out to you. Like when you're learning to program, people will say, learn this, learn that. But if it's not something you're invested in, not something that interests you, I don't feel like you'll stick to it. I couldn't agree more. I'm very jealous of the developers who say, you know, I want to learn this new framework or I want to new, learn this new tooling. They'll buy three or four books, sit down, read them cover to cover and just kind of get it. For me, I have to build a project in it. Otherwise, I just I can't Google the right things and I don't make the right connections. What is your experience? Mine matches up with that very much. Like I have to have a passion project or I get a little bit bored because I don't know what to do with it. It's like, I'll sit there with certain languages and I'm like, I don't know what to do with you. What do I do? And then until I get that like spark of inspiration, that's like, oh, this is a thing I could do. It doesn't really land. Like I remember playing with Elixir and not knowing what to do with it for the longest time. And then it was just out of nowhere, there was a dumb idea that I had about trying to send messages from multiple programs and building a service um, that would allow me to basically paste to Slack or Discord or whatever, just based on what I had. And it wasn't like it was an exact match, but because of the way that Elixir has its processes organized, it can identify itself from other pieces of code. I'm not doing a good job of explaining this, <laughs> but uh, you can identify it and you can find a service very easily if it's one piece of code and then it can do its thing. So. I love that you're matching the thing to a purpose. So let's talk about your current role at Vibes. What is the technical stack? I am super happy at Vibes and the technical stack is a little bit varied, but it's still primarily Ruby on Rails. There's a lot of JavaScript and some related frameworks, and also a small number of job applications that help power like some of the core infrastructure at Vibes. Um, I really like. I start to think about this, and I kind of can get into an overwhelming amount of detail. <laughs> but that is the basic gist of like the lay of the land of Vibes. Is it's Ruby on Rails for the most part, a bunch of JavaScript on top and some other hidden bits. <laughs> so you're looking at a Rails monolith then? Mm, there are definitely monoliths involved. 
Okay, that makes sense. Well, one topic that we've brought up on the podcast before is what it means to be a principal software engineer, like whether or not you're going down your career path and you decide, you know what, I want to stay deeply technical and I want to go down that principal route as opposed to the managerial route. Would you agree that that's where you're currently sitting and that's what a principal means to you? Or what, what is your experience with being a principal engineer? I think mine does differ, but that's just because Vibes has allowed me to work in a way that works best for me. And I see it as being the technical expert, but I'm also overlapping a lot with that managerial side. And we do have a, uh, an engineering manager as well. But a lot of what I'm allowed to do in my current role is the growth and building up of my team members. And that's just what I enjoy doing. That is what I'm passionate about. And I do that through growing their technical skills and helping them understand and build the skills that they need to do the work we need. Um, so it's a lot more of a mentorship role than the typical technical role. And I do make a lot of the technical decisions and help build the architecture for the things my team works on. Um, so I don't know if that matches up with other people's experience, but it is less of being purely technical for me. And I'm probably aimed at making a transition away from that purely technical role, but we'll see. Well, it sounds like it certainly fits your skill set, which is quite wonderful. So a lot of companies are trying to get better about inclusion, which I know is a subject that you're quite passionate about. Do you have a first step that companies could take? I think that any company that wants to get involved and take these first steps really just needs to understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts are a serious investment. It will take time, money, and effort from many parts of the business to adequately support any of those efforts, and they need to be serious about it for it to succeed. And does that include outreach efforts? For me, it I've noticed that when we open job postings, you know, we don't get the diverse candidates that we'd like to see. And so does that involve, you know, making those connections with groups out there because it's unlikely that you're just going to get lucky and get a diverse candidate pool? Like, I'd love your thoughts around that. Absolutely. Like making those connections and also being explicit that you want to see different candidates and candidates from different backgrounds and things like that. You be explicit about these wants and make sure that you get those candidates before you make a decision. That's all part of it. I think a big change, and obviously we have covered this on the podcast and in the world, is that we're now a year into this pandemic. And so most of us have been relegated to remote work. So how does inclusion, you know, get affected once you're remote? I don't know if I have a great answer for this one other than what my personal experience was. And one of the things that stuck out to me most when I switched to a remote environment is I feel like things evened out quite a bit. Like I've had more contact with more parts of the business and more people than I would have, or I feel I would have if I was still in an office. Just, I feel like it was easier to meet other people in the company. Like, through meetings and Zooms and organizationally than it was when we were segmented on different parts of the building or they were remote and I was in office. I totally agree with you. And I think I'm most excited in the fact that the remote candidate pool just got incredibly wide. 
So, you know, if you are in a area that might not have a great diverse group of candidates, well, now you can hire outside of it. So I know you've given a presentation on Rust in Ruby. So for the Rubyists listening who have never interacted with Rust, why is it a good idea to experiment with it? So there's probably a lot better answers than the one I will give, but for me, it's just fun. I love new languages and it was playing with new things. And this was the purpose I found for Rust. Because it's a systems language and compiled, it's, you know, got the potential to be faster. And it also has this specific thing, like the big thing for Rust is it's supposed to be really, really safe. So in C, you might write code where a pointer ends up pointed at some weird piece of memory and things go weird. And suddenly you've written code that allows someone to have a security exploit on something. But with Rust, if the program compiles correctly, you can be decently sure that it's not going to do something super unexpected. And by reaching out through Ruby, I was like, maybe I could write things like this and it would be a fun little way to do other things with Ruby. How much easier was it for you to pick up Rust knowing that you have this deep experience with C? Um. That is a very hard question for me to answer just because I don't know if it would have been harder or easier, like given, yeah, I would have to think on that one a lot more. Well, we'd have to introduce that parallel universe and then we would find out. <laughs> so any advice on making Russ talk with Ruby? So there used, like when I first did this, there was a project by uh, Yehuda Katz that did, uh, I probably said that wrong, but he was writing a gem called Helix that allowed Ruby and Rust to talk together really well. Um, I looked at that recently though, and it appears like it's been deprecated. So I'm not sure what the current best one is, but I do know there was also um, a gem called Ruti. And I believe that is probably one of the better options right now. And the other one would be just using Ruby's built-in FFI library. Awesome. So as I like to ask all of my guests, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? Um, unlike some, I think the future of Ruby is still really, really bright. It's still an actively developed language with people contributing, you know, daily. It is still one of the most in-demand languages. It's still got one of the highest pays of all of the programming language. And also the, like, the, even for more junior Ruby engineers, the pay level is higher. So that just says that Ruby developers are in super high demand because otherwise the pay would not be as high as it is. And I just think that those are all good indicators of Ruby having a really bright future at the moment. With you learning so many different tools and frameworks, if you were to build out a new project or say start vibes over again, would you still reach for Ruby and Rails? That is a great question. Um, from where I stand is like in this point in my career, it would depend on what my other pressures are. If my other pressures were to get a project up quickly and to try and beat other people to market, absolutely, I would start with Ruby on Rails. If I was focused more on some other concerns, there might be a mixture of technologies or if it was specifically aiming to conquer one area, I might choose a different technology. That makes sense.
Powder, how can listeners follow you? So I am Powder on both GitHub and GitLab. And I can also be found on Twitter as whimsical underscore Amy. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today and sharing your insights. And we definitely want to have you back on again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.